TRP is a theologically progressive Baptist church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) This is going swimmingly. Welcome to the TRP podcast. My name is Josh James. I'm one of the pastors of the Restoration Project, which is a theologically progressive cooperative Baptist fellowship church located in the thriving metropolis of Salisbury, Maryland. As always, I'm here with the self-proclaimed content machine, Tessa Stoltz. Yes, hello. In my notes here, Tessa, I have a space for your witty banter. Well, that was a mistake. (laughs) She's got nothing. We also are joined here in Jude's old bedroom with a very special guest, our brand new worship leader, Colin Denton. Welcome to the pod, Colin. Hello. Also, I've got a space here for your witty banter. Banter, banter. There it is. Not very witty, but we'll take it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Colin, because I don't know if the people necessarily know who you are, where you're from, what you know, what you don't know, what you love, what you don't love. Wow. Wow. I don't what care questions? Who so many questions. Mm-hmm. I could harmonize to that, but I won't. Good. Tell us about my yourself instead. My name is Colin, and I always say Colin too fast, so people think I say Tyler. So I've started. Um, that, wait, that's quite a leap. My name is Colin. Colin? Nope. Tyler? It happens all the time, <laughs> especially on phone orders. So I've started, like, my first name is actually Anderson. So there's your first piece of what? Colin trivia. My license says Anderson Colin Denton. Hmm, that's good. My father, son, Anderson Colin Denton, son of Harold Anderson Denton. And Harold Anderson goes by Andy. That is a lineage. And Anderson goes by Colin. <laughs> We've already learned so much. And Colin tried to name his son, his son uh, Anderson Burke. But the wife said, people who go by their middle name are stupid. <laughs> and I said, you've insulted my entire lineage. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, so yeah. there's your first piece of trivia. Yes. Is that Colin is actually Anderson. He hails from North Carolina, and apparently he speaks in the third person. Yes, always. Uh, I'm actually, ironically, from Salisbury, North Carolina. Technically Lexington, but it's like eight minutes away. So I just say Salisbury because it's funnier. Um, it is funnier. Only for people in Salisbury, Maryland, yeah. I think. Yeah. The home of Cheerwine. Yes, Lexington. Oh. Lexington barbecue is the home of North Carolina style barbecue. Did I say Lexington barbecue? Which Lexington, I think North Carolina. I think people on the Eastern Shore think that we do North Carolina style barbecue, but we're wrong in that. You are so wrong. Who's so we? wrong. There's there's not even an analogy to think about how wrong that is. Who's wrong? Anybody who thinks that we're actually eating North Carolina style barbecue? Oh, vinegar. We're, yeah. The vinegar is the most important ingredient. We are in a weird place where it's neither barbecue sauce based nor vinegar based. It's just very different. It feels like if you don't worship crabs, then you're basically on a food desert. Here? Yeah. That's how I felt. You know, I've always thought that we should have more southern cuisine than we do. It feels southern, but you can't get good Fried chicken. We get our fried chicken from the gas station, for crying out loud. No no offense here to Rofe. Royal Farms, I do respect it. Rofe? Yeah. I'm, it's not Rofo, because it's Royal Farms, so it should be Rofe. That would be Rofa. I mean, I'm going to change the Why are you making up your own rules Because I'm this? the only one that says Rofe, so I can say whatever I want to say. Okay, I'm intruding well, I would on, say Rofa. I'm intruding on a personal argument. That's Rofa like sofa? 
I like food exactly. a lot. I like food a lot. I love restaurants. Thanks for steering us back. <laughs> um, well, that's the conversation. I, I love food. I love restaurants. I love coffee shops. I really want to work at a coffee shop one day just to like, just to do it. Um, I was on staff at a church in North Carolina for five years. Uh, before that, I studied music in college at a small college called Catawba College, liberal arts college, where I studied music with a concentration in popular music. So I took classes on like the Beatles, which is actually a really hard class. You can ask me about it later. What do most people with that degree go on to do? Uh, well, the honest answer is uh, work in bars and restaurants and <laughs> try to try to make money by doing things mm. that aren't usually music. Yes, I'm a band director, so that's kind of related. It's it's close. Um, and I'm a worship leader at a local church so called TRP. There wow, full circle. You have turned your degree into a profitable uh, sort of semi-profitable, yeah, semi-profitable vocation, Good sustainable for you. vocation. Yes. And, and that's I can really tell the goal. You. The songwriting secrets of the Beatles, because that was the name of our class. I so. don't want to talk about it. He hates the Beatles. I don't enjoy the Beatles. I and I, it really makes me furious when, like, metal bands will be asked, "Who are your influences?" and they'll say the Beatles. Like, come on. Are you it's mad just, because you just like don't get I'm it? I'm mad because they're not that important. I said it. I said it. Well, most and, of other people disagree with you i think they would be right yeah. to disagree I with think me that's that's coming from a place of anger i can tell <laughs> but now we can be really open on the podcast because everybody just turned it off because of what yes. josh said oh, so now true. we can wow. just be our real selves that was, and have fun that was the goal well, to get but if we to need to bring people listening. back real quick i am only one of three who thinks what i just said i'm probably one of millions who thinks what i just probably said. seven seven million total seven people <laughs> in the world well i bet we're a fun group to have a beer with from time to time. Bet. Was I that bet enough? You're super fun. About myself? I think so. I think we called it Anderson. Good job. <laughs> you're welcome. Anderson, don't call me Tyler. Mr. Colin Anderson. Denton. So we're here in Jude's bedroom because you very graciously took over the preaching duties this weekend at TRP, which I don't know if you knew this going in, but this past Sunday was Christ the King Sunday. Did you know that? I only knew it because you texted it to the group <laughs> I text. I told you. Prior to, you said, hey, it's Christ the King Sunday, so I'll probably say something about that. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. I did not know that. So your church background, we wouldn't say super liturgical. Correct. I worked at a Lutheran church for nine months. That was the definition of liturgical. But I was a freshman in college and did not appreciate the liturgy because I was an immature freshman. Would you now, you think? Probably more, probably more so. I mean, growing up, I grew up in a very, you know, stereotypical, non-denominational, Baptist with a website kind of church, which was awesome because it was where I got my start in music as far as like leading worship and being a part of a band and a team and, you know, traveling to some church stuff to lead worship and got involved in the youth band. So there's a lot of opportunity there, but also... um. You know, it wasn't liturgical. It was just pretty free flow kind of opening song announcements, song, song, sermon, altar call, song. Yeah, every church has their own liturgy. Correct. Has their own sort of structure and order of worship. Even the most non-denominational of of all, they still usually have that classic three songs. Yeah. Offering. Their relevant teaching. 
by a man in blue jeans and then something at the end of that. Um, over the past few years, we've tried to get more in touch with some of the high church elements, uh, particularly the church calendar. So I didn't know this, but Christ the King Sunday is the end of year sort of celebration within the church calendar leading into Advent, which is the beginning of the church's year. So you have those four weeks of Advent sermons leading into Christmas time. So I've got some friends that are really high churchy, and they get super ticked when people listen to any Christmas songs, not before Thanksgiving, but before Christmas Day. It's like during Advent, you do not do that. So it's very... It's backwards in the sense of their Christmas season starts on the 25th, and then they observe it for some time after that. Do they observe it until the Epiphany Sunday? I believe so, okay. yeah. And see, this is where like we, we try to incorporate some of that stuff, but I'm, I'm a little bit behind. That was not part of my upbringing in church. That was not part of my education in church. So we're just trying to grab what we think is, is nice and, and bring it into the, the fold as a something that can teach us things. Quick question. Tossing it out there. Let's do it. What how do you think it changes our perspective if we view Christmas as the beginning of the year versus the end of the year? Like if we because I if like in our culture right now, at least where I'm at, I view I view like Christmas and Jesus remembering Jesus being born and like Christmas break as like the end mm-hmm. of a long tough year. And then New Year's Eve is when I'm like, all right, time to start over. Yeah. But w- w- how does it change our theology, our rhythm of living, if we view, like your high church buddies, if we view Jesus' birth as like the beginning of the, this new year? Like, how does that, does it change anything? Does it change I don't know. rhythms? I, I think that's a good question. It, it's certainly, the thing that I love about it is the, the instructional piece of sort of observing the life of Jesus, so moving from Advent, Christmas, further on into Lent, Easter. So you get all these different things within the course of the year. So we've been in a long slog of what is called ordinary time. It's like 30-ish weeks, isn't it? 20-ish weeks or so? I'm looking to my resident Catholic to... I have no idea. (laughs) It's a lot of weeks. Um, I do know that every Sunday in Catholic Church, it would the programs would be twentieth Sunday in ordinary time. Yeah, it would always be numbered, but I don't remember how many. Two hundred and seventy first Sunday. Yeah, in, in ordinary, ordinary time. time. Yeah, it feels it all feels time that way. is ordinary. I don't know. Let's let's keep our let's keep our eyes and ears open this coming Advent and Christmas season to see what it might inspire in us and around us thinking about that as the beginning of the year. It might even be one of those things that we haven't stressed too much within the life of TRP, so it might be worth thinking. Now, Colin, we've got the audio and the video of you preaching on Sunday, and we're going to post that at some point in, in some format. The, the video was me sitting in the back with my iPhone. That's, I hope that's what that was and not yeah. you just physically scrolling through some social media no, <laughs> during no, my sermon. That would have been holding really the disheartening. Holding the phone up at eye level scroll. <laughs> but honestly, when you're up there and you get that view of all of the people, you see some things that are a bit disheartening from time to time. 
you see name three uh by name right now go yeah well there was this one time that no i I won't go (laughs) real specific but there's some people that get really sleepy and sometimes that and encourages me to dance more than i do is that what that's why i do that every time you dance now i'm gonna be looking around for who's sleeping (laughs) yes or yeah the phone scroll is a tough one i i don't know for me like in in the music world it's even more deflating i can handle somebody being sleepy during a sermon but like when you're up there playing and you're singing and you're kind of pouring your heart out and people just look at you like you could be dead for all they care that's the tough one yeah, I think I told you, I think you asked me, are you like an eyes, are you a look into the crowd kind of guy when you're leading worship? Like, what do you do? And I, my response to that has always been, and I've noticed this in myself, I don't know where I was in my you know journey when I discovered this about myself, but the more nervous and insecure that I am, the more likely I am to like close my eyes and like get really spiritual. But with do it. you know that you're being really spiritual in it's, the eyes of most? Totally a defense mechanism. But I mean, do you know that when you do that, people think that you're spiritual? I, I don't know. Are you are you asking me like this is what I see, or are you saying like no, no, what no? Do you think? I, I'm not making because I, I haven't I haven't seen that side of you to be honest. But I, I was wondering. I haven't seen you being super spiritual yet. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I haven't seen you pretending to be super spiritual because uh, you're really yes. insecure. I haven't seen that. But I mean, yeah. There's there's those potential moments where you portray something that evokes, you know, oh, he's confident or like, oh, he's got it together when really you're a big fat mess on the inside. I didn't know if that, if you like were conscious of that and knew that like instead of me looking this way, I'm going to project spiritualness for these people. Yeah, it's tough, you know, it's tough to define like, all right, I'm a little nervous about how the song set is going to go, but I'm going to do my best to be confident. And how do you, where does that line stop? And where does the imposter syndrome of I'm going to appear as this humble, spiritual worship yeah. leader, you know, sitting in the tree with my acoustic guitar trying to serenade the people into some spot of worship, you know? And I don't know where that line starts and stops. There's that. And then there's that guy who wasn't sick but would play the song healer that he oh, wrote with an gosh. oxygen tank there i mean so there's i read there's about all that. sorts of what that yeah, are you there, talking there was about? this guy that pretended to have i believe he yeah. pretended to have cancer like a terminal illness and he would play this song called healer which has this really big anthony was that yeah. it the, the, the that, sound, that sounds right yeah and it has this big like anthony chorus and bridge and he's literally on stage with an oxygen tank next to him like in a breathing tubes playing i believe you're my healer meanwhile not sick yeah and that like not to be offensive or draw categories that is like on the line of like mental disorder like somewhere somewhere along the way like feeling like you are in a position to pretend to have a terminal illness in order to get attention or I don't to even get know what to call that to get recognition or more likes or and see clicks. and it's and it's that spiritually recognition yeah. too this isn't normal like you work hard and you try to do well in your job this is only within the arena of yeah christian churchiness like oh he's got real faith look at him with his oxygen tank like there you know that's 
just a very bubbly sort of experience. So yeah, there's that. Clearly, he's got other stuff he needs to be healed from. Yes, yeah, and I think that's, he's that's, doing what, that. that's what Colin's saying. That line is really, really fuzzy. Well, I mean, anytime you start talking about churches, we're we're not too far away from narcissism, mm-hmm. and how far that can take people into real bouts of unhealth, and just sometimes, in my experiences with uh, with people, it's like. It, just having a hard time grasping how someone could ever even think to do what's being done right in front of me, you know? And being able to to have the presence of mind and the, I don't know if wisdom is the right word, but the being able to have the headspace in the moment to understand this is this person's reality. Yes. This is this person's framework. Like I talked about Sunday with Pilate, like we read these things in the Bible and we're like, this person's so dumb. Why are they acting this way? Or we see people in front of us, like you just said, a person who's exhibiting narcissistic behavior or fill in the blank behavior. And we're from the outside, like, this is insane. Like, how could you be acting this way? And it's, it's difficult to, to understand this is this person's entire reality. Where if it's a narcissistic behavior, like they really feel like they are threatened or they are in danger or whatever, and they need to do this thing which seems insane to us and to them, it's like survival mechanism. Yeah, because those conversations won't go anywhere, even like just attempting to say, hey, I noticed this thing that seems super unhealthy. That gets shut down pretty quick. We're also um, a bit reticent in our Bible reading to be sympathetic to the fact that we are just as, terrible word, we are just as dumb as the people that we are accusing of being dumb in the pages of Scripture, whether it's the disciples, whether it's Pilate, whether it's the people, as we'll talk about later, kind of chanting, give us Barabbas! Like, we have all of these moments in our own lives where we we are walking in lockstep with that sort of ignorance because we fall prey to the systems and the patterns of of our day. But you, you preach this message, and um, Tessa, go ahead. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate Colin's performance? Oh my gosh. No pressure. 11. Okay. That was the right answer. Turned it up to 11. Yep. We're doing spinal tap here. That's right. Um, my interface does go up to 11, just for the record. Really? Yeah. That's a marketing ploy. I love it. Colin, tell us about your your process. It was it was a great sermon. It's always interesting hearing people for the very first time, and you kind of got thrown into this blind. Like none of us really knew what to expect or or what you would bring to the table. None of us, I don't think, were sitting back there and and critiquing you with a with a pen and a piece of paper. Although I've got uh, pages of notes, I just <laughs> yeah, didn't right. bring them. It didn't right. seem appropriate. I'd love to see that. It would be in like picture form. There'd oh, be all 100%. sorts of things happening there artistically. Like an ink blot test. But anytime you're you're exactly. the new person on the block, you know, I think people are being like, okay, what's 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 up with this guy? I want to hear about your process though, like because you jumped in with the lectionary and the lectionary took us to a weird place. We've been looking at Mark and then they they threw in this curveball of John. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the lectionary is split up into three years, A, B, and C, and I believe A, B, and C each devotes a, a significant amount of time to a specific synoptic gospel. John has no overarching 
year that is designated to it, so it just kind of gets sprinkled yeah. in from time to time. And here on Christ the King Sunday, John is a perfect place to go because John is the most overt in making a lot of kingly claims of Jesus. But you're you're throwing this curveball. You got John 18. Walk us through your your process, just how you approach the text and how you get ready to to preach. Yeah, it's so different, you know, because a few people ask me after on, on Sunday, like, have you you've seen like you've done this before? Not to pat myself on the back, which I'm not trying to, but I have done this before, you know, in North Carolina. Um, I started out teaching in college. I was in Campus Crusade in college, and so started teaching some Bible studies. Um, you know, just working. My very first tattoo was First Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, we love you so much. We didn't share just the gospel with you, but our lives as well. Because we did a we did a study through verse by verse of First Thessalonians. It's in Greek, people. Oh yeah, just, it's just in so you Koine know, Greek. The, the nerd level is pretty pretty high. I used to have it memorized, and I was about to go for it, but I would have Here's totally the messed thing, it man. up. <laughs> Anytime anybody wants to get a tattoo in the biblical languages, they need to know the biblical languages. If I had a nickel for every text that I get from somebody that I know that says, hey, what's the Hebrew word for fill in the blank? Strength. To which I say, is this a tattoo? If yes, find somebody else, because I do not want to be responsible. I'm telling you, I almost messed up. You know, I... I'm not sure if the person that I talked to will listen to this podcast, but I reached out to our pastor back then. I was like, hey, what's the Greek for this verse? And we, we talked through it, you know, pulled up the Greek dictionary, worked through some stuff. I was ready to go, sent it to the tattoo artist. Literally the Thursday before my Saturday appointment, I walked into my professor's office, Dr. Sang, who is the... Uh, he was the head of the biblical studies program. Which is where you should have gone in the first place. Correct. <laughs> I walked into his office. And I was like, hey, can I just throw something by you? And he was like, dear Jesus, this is all wrong. He's like, <laughs> sit down, come quick. Like, oh, no. We have to fix this right now. And like, I had some stuff wrong, and well, we, we fixed it. Bible profs live for this sort of moment where they can save, where they can yes. flex on, I do know Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and whatever other he ancient languages. He saved you from a permanent mistake. Literally. Yeah. Uh, a no regret is what you were saved mm, from. Exactly. So, uh, so that was when I started teaching. Was in college. We did First Thessalonians with Campus Crusade, and really enjoyed that. Um, taught in college life group. Eventually came on staff at our church. Started teaching with the youths. You know, middle school, high school, college. We did big groups like once a month. So I'd speak at those. Um, preached my first sermon. August of like 2017. How bad was it? Uh, six out of ten. Okay, wasn't terrible. Mine was atrocious. Is this your colonoscopy sermon? No, no, that was actually that was okay. Oh, good. My very first one was like (laughs) I thought that it was gonna be you know 15 ish minutes. I had one story I wanted to tell, and I had a Bible verse. Because I, I was trying to like emulate the people that I knew. It, w- it wasn't my style. I didn't know what my style was. But I was, you know, I had this one story and this one Bible verse, and it took me about thirty-five seconds to get through it. And then I didn't know what to do, oh and I just started being real sweaty. I'm like, where do you think I went? Let's pray, pull the ripcord, and just get out of there. It was bad, and I don't know what made me. Was this at a service on a Sunday? I wasn't. It was a youth service, and I was the Those youth count. intern. Okay, so they were probably happy to be. They were out excited of there. that. People under the age of 60 were in attendance, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Let mm-hmm. alone participating in the service. 
But here I was just, man, it was it was bad news. I probably and, went too long because I, I was given like a just do whatever you want, you know, free freestyle it. So I, I think I, I literally looked, my sermon was called uh, the message of the gospel or something like that. Like, what is the, what is <laughs> yeah, the real easy. gospel? Something easy. <laughs> oh, and know? of course, every, you know, 20 year old knows the real gospel. Yeah. Oh, I did. The rest of us have, you just know, been my, you know, my around. very first passage was first Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight, <laughs> my tattoo <laughs> verse, baby I had to do it. Did you have the tattoo before you preached it or after? Because that would have been great if you're like, turn in your Bibles to, flex. and then just pull your sleeve up. Flex. <laughs> yeah. I think I got the tattoo after, actually. I don't, I don't know. That and then somebody in the, in the seat ago. says, that's all wrong. That's an atrocious <laughs> Greek tattoo. The penmanship is terrible. Yep. Oh, um, so how, how do you get into John? Like, you've got this background. You've got, you know, some, some sermons under your belt. Now, like on last week... What what's the process? You start with the commentary, you start with the text, you start with some ideas, pull out some themes. What's going on? Yeah. Well, what I what I would have used to do when I was working at the church for forty hours a week would have been go to the coffee shop all day every day, read the text, read commentaries, read the text, read commentaries, write a sermon, throw it away, write a sermon, throw it away, then write my sermon. And then this is this is what churches are paying for. Literally. They're paying for Colin to go drink coffee and spend way too much time oh gosh. working on a sermon that should I, I used to be the same way because I like books and I like nerdiness, but now I've found like a sweet spot of six to eight hours. Yeah. And that even seems high like eight sounds like too much. Because there's other stuff you gotta do throughout the week. Yeah. When like you like say- actually pastor people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you go ahead, Tessa. Sorry. People. Um, when you say you used to be that way, how long ago was that? When did you find the six to eight hour spot? Probably when I found myself working 50 plus hours a week. So like I was still trying to log 20 hours or so working with a text and then doing all the other stuff that you have to do on top of that. Mm-hmm. Meeting yeah. with people. Uh, maintaining relationships, being present if something hits the fan yeah. in somebody's life. Like sometimes you're just pulled away. And, you know, Sunday shows up same time every week. So if you've got a tough Thursday, Friday, Saturday of yeah. doing some real real life ministry, you're either going to get up there. Like we were talking about last week with Susie. You're either going to get up there and say, hey, this was a terrible week, or you're just going to fake it till you make it, mm-hmm. or you're just going to preach a really terrible sermon and hope people come back. That's always in the back of my head. Like, is this going to be so bad I that feel like people you talk never want to show up again? The fear of like new people being there and you they're, having an off week and you're like, oh my gosh, they're never coming I mean, back. That's I just because know you it. meet so many people, first time guests, and they show up. And it takes a lot to go through the threshold of a church. You don't know what sort it of does. stories they're bringing. You don't know what sort of pain. You don't know what sort of stuff. And we see so many people, not so many, but enough people to show up. Yeah. And we're small enough where it's like, hey, they're new, and then you don't see them ever again. And the only logical conclusion that I ever reach is they must have hated me. That's that's where I go, because I'm yeah. just a... Which isn't true. And I can speak to that from when, I mean, Beth and I, you know, we were in North Carolina, and Beth is from here. She went to college, same place I did at Catawba, and we met and got married, you know, living the dream. <laughs> but we moved up here a year ago. And, man, it really sucked looking for a church. 
Yeah. That, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I don't say that to exaggerate. Like, because I went from, I grew up in a church, was there for 20 years, you know, from when I was born to when I was 20. Everybody wanted me to stay there and, and eventually lead it. Like, I mean, that's kind of the path I was on. Is that where you worked? No. Okay. I took a job at like the contemporary hip big church in town. Was the other church the Lutheran church? No. The Lutheran church was, oh, nine, was months a nine months stint. as yeah. a freshman. Yeah. And that was like literally they texted me on Friday. Hey, there's a job. And I was leading worship that Sunday. That's that, how much I prayed about it. As that's healthy. Zero. I mean, that, that's healthy <laughs> on like, their hey, part. That's healthy on your part. Give me some cash, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not a great fit. Great people. I love them very much. Just not a great fit. Um, that's what happens when you take a job on one day's notice. But I worked at, you know, the bigger church for a few years. And so I loved it. You know, like my friends were there. We all, when I was in college, our college ministry was through this church. And so when I started working there and then when I went on staff full time after I graduated, I was basically getting paid to hang out with my friends and like lead my friends, quote unquote, you know, run rehearsals, run services, plan services that were run by and full of my friends. Did you struggle with that? Because I, I've flashing back to a former pastor. It's like, I can't be your friend and your pastor, so I will be your pastor, and I will not be your friend. You're like, what? What is happening? I'm a I'm a people person. Yeah, you know, like, and there were a few, there were some people on the staff that were like, we don't have to be friends. Like, we can just work together well. And I'm like, we have to be friends in order to work together well. That's just how I am. I mean, I'm the one that like when I started my job at Washington High School, like, I was like, Jesus, please send me some friends, because like. I can't just be coworkers with people. Like I have to have buddies. Like we have to go get a drink after work. Like I have to know what's going on in your life. That's just how I am. Where's the watering hole down in Princess Anne? Hoppers. Okay, so you're you're getting out of Princess Anne. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're hopefully. I think they're building a brewery right next to our school, but what? it's been it's been under construction for like two years. Princess Anne yeah. is one of those towns. Sorry if if podcast listeners have no real acquaintance with the geography of the Eastern Shore. Just Talk amongst yourselves for a moment as we discuss Princess Anne. It should be cooler than it is. You've got UMES there. You've got a, you know a couple of high schools. There should there should be some things. Yeah. You shouldn't expect people to make the fifteen minute commute to Salisbury for the stuff. But when you're commuting to Salisbury for the, for the stuff, stuff, yeah, it's, you know it's downtown bad. should be cool. Downtown could be pretty cool. There's yeah. a few stuff there. No, no offense if you're listening to this and you work in downtown Princess Anne. Like, there's some cool stuff there. I've gotten to know a few people, but it could be it could be cooler than the Ace Hardware in the liquor store. See, and I also don't know what what my cool is. Probably isn't representative of what yeah. a lot of other people's cool is. But I don't remember exactly where I was going. All that to say, you were mm-hmm. uh, pastoring your friends and leading my friends. Talking about the difficulties there and. Oh, so when we when we moved up here and started looking for a church, it was really difficult. You know, I, I uh, visited a few places around here. If you're listening to this and I visited your church and never came back, sorry. <laughs> it's it's emotionally draining. It's spiritually draining. I even say physically. Like, you go a place, and I usually went by myself because my wife Beth is much less of a people person than I am. She's just an introvert. You know, she's content with her sister and a few friends at work. And and for introverts, this is so much more awful. Yeah, it's hell. You know, like you're you're exposing yourself to people you don't know. These people 
depending on the culture of their church, are likely viewing you as prey. You know, you're either you're like an item on the menu, basically. No well, offense to them. Well, because they have that uh, the stat. You know, within the first nine seconds of being on the church's campus, if you're going to return or not. Which I don't. I mean, I don't think I'm that quick to judgment. Is it but nine seconds? It's something crazy. It's it's less than a minute crazy. for I sure. But it's not probably nine seconds. That's like that's, um, that's swiping on the dating apps. You know, in LOL. nine seconds. <laughs> I'm so glad that wasn't my context. You but, should be. But yes, I mean, so so they put people in orange vests in the yeah. parking lot, like at your window. Opening your door for you. Can you imagine you? if Hello? we had like, people in orange face. vests in our parking lot? <laughs> like, directing the 20 cars. What are you doing, Evan? Why are you at my window? <laughs> Why are you wearing an orange vest? Just want to make sure you're welcome. You yep. got to be ready for the influx. You never know. You know, workers are few, harvest is many. That's a thing. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway, yeah, it's, it's draining, it's hard, it's difficult. Yeah. But visiting those churches, and I, I don't want to lie, like, the sermon was a big thing for me. But I'm a nerd, and I'm a person that preaches, and so I care a lot about the sermon and how it's approached and how the Word of God is handled, and part of that's my background, you know, like, for better or for worse, I was kind of raised in a place that, you know, how you handle the Word of the Lord is how you do right in all things, buddy, yeah. <laughs> and so that's that's there, but rightly it dividing always... the Word of Truth. <laughs> I don't know that one. You don't? <laughs> no. Okay. I know the verse. I don't know the song. <laughs> it, used, it was a round that we would sing. Oh, Lord. oh boy! Right, we should have rehearsed. Yeah, it was bad. I would leave after I heard that. Not gonna lie, I definitely would. See, but that's all what that I'm is saying. to say, it's just, it's so much is placed on any one thing. I want to encourage you. It's, it wasn't always <laughs> the sermon. I never, I never really left thinking like that guy's a loser. It was always oh, like you. the culture of this place isn't really where we are. The community, the demographics, the way they approach theology or the word like it's so many things going together at one time trying to make a decision that's very real you know like going to really impact my future because you you mentioned on the, on the podcast last week um because i listened because i'm a good podcaster there you go <laughs> you mentioned you know for the last number nine years plus every sunday you've been doing something right like getting a sermon ready getting ready for church whatever so the decision to join a church is basically deciding where am I going to spend one day a week indefinitely. That's a pretty big choice, and it's only for a few hours. But re- I mean, once if you get involved in any type of service or whatever, like that's a well, big commitment. It's got a lot of potential to shape you and your family, yeah. not just the the pastor, but the entire like you mentioned the culture of yeah. the church. So that becomes sort of the the stuff that you say, like the mission or vision of the church, the things that get pumped in every week to try to... Uh, the only thing that's coming to my mind is brainwashing. That's a bit too negative. But just like, you know, some churches are really bent on making sure you know the mission and the vision yeah. so you can repeat it in the elevator the should anyone method. ever... Yeah. And so like that just becomes all the stuff that you take in. We talked a few weeks ago about like the fashion of the church even. You, mm-hmm. you start to look yeah. like the people. Now... We both have beards. We both have glasses. Our our style is pretty similar. I can't. Yeah, lie. but that that happened prior to. Correct. I'm working on my beard. That's excellent. Thank yeah, you. You have I a little bit of catching up to do. Oh, thank you. But yes, I appreciate that, and I know that deep down, that just speaks more to yeah. my own insecurities and my own unrealistic expectations. But I do know that. Good grief! Read, read blogs 
on certain websites that will basically say, you should decide where you go based on the sermon. Or uh, there was a survey done a few years ago that says the most important thing in our decision of choosing a new church is the sermon, which is absolutely insane. Like, it, it's sad that so much is placed on that. It should be about so many other things, but, you know, that's just one element. And that's what that's what you said last week. The our cultures. And I'm sorry to talk so much, Tessa. I feel like you haven't oh, talked you're to fine. a lot today. I'm listening. I'm absorbing. I feel like you mentioned this last week. The our cultures lifting up of the pastor, and our cultures lifting up of the sermon. Like you know, the church I was at in North Carolina, and just being in the Gospel Coalition circle. You know, I went to the Gospel Coalition conference. You know, John Piper, David Platt. Uh, Gosh. Other random yeah. reformed people. A bunch of white guys that are really smart, you know? But um, that that culture has, like, idolized and built up the 50-minute sermon that, you know, this, hey, this is the one time in the week that the people of God are under the Word of God, and we're all in this room together. Which actually means this is the one time that they are sitting under you, and you have right. the opportunity exactly. to brainwash them. That's what I was just thinking. Like, what does that format say about what pastors want people to think of them? It's the cult of celebrity. Mm-hmm. Cult of personality, yeah. Yeah. And it, it creates people like Mark Driscoll, and it creates people like Stephen Furtick, who aren't, I'm not saying they're bad people, but it, it's so much rides on their personality and their speaking voice and their ability to draw a crowd and be entertaining. And that's hard not to feel that. Right, as a pastor, as one who's preparing a sermon, like you said, it's hard not to feel like, man, if I screw this up, people might not come back. And like talking to Susie last week, like, hey, did you think that people might not be nice to you if you suck? Yeah, and that's reality, <laughs> you know. And that's that's feeling that's I feel like in my head that's viewing a sermon completely wrong, as like we are creators of some product. Yeah, it's performance art. Yeah, it's it's a brand. It's it's creating some experience or some moment or some TED Talk or something for people to come and be caught up in for 25 to 35 to 45 minutes. And that's impossible to maintain. Like I know I'm more regular uh, as, a, as a preacher. So if I'm riding like a two or three week streak where it's like, oh man, they've been pretty good. And I try to just top myself week after week. It's like, that was the bar. Got to go higher. Got to be better. Got And that's just like an impossible. That sounds like an awful way to be. That's why uh, yeah. anti-anxiety medication exists mm. and mm-hmm. has been a part of my life for some time. Yeah. You know, that's that's why I just saw a, an article the other day that said 38% of pastors over the past year have wanted to quit. Mm. You know, it's like, it's. It's all of the stuff that's going on in the world, and it's these completely unrealistic expectations that the community, at least the perception, is is that the community is placing on their their people. I'm not sure if that's actually true. Um, I know at TRP, I I feel like folks could not give two rips. Yeah, it's definitely not. Like when you ask Susie, I wanted to text you this. Like when you ask Susie on the podcast, like how do you think people would have responded if you just got there and bombed it? And, you know, it's like, well, they don't know the circumstances in our life that week, and they don't know that Susie's gone through something hard, or, like, maybe this was just an off week for me. But in my head, I'm like, these people know Susie, and they love Susie. 
and they know they know you and they know you and hopefully they know me. And that was one thing that our church in North Carolina did really well was like anytime we had a guest speaker or even me getting ready to preach, like the leadership always made sure like we love you so much that you can't fail. Like you're not here to impress us. You're not here to perform. You're not here to do something that's going to knock our socks off and we can't wait until next week, even though that was kind of what I was trying to do. You know, the reality is what our time together weekly as a people should be is like fun, like authentic, real, like not trying to perform in any way, which is tough. It's tough to say that as a professional quote unquote worship leader who my job is to like hopefully plan some songs and run a rehearsal so we have a nice smooth worship time where we have good chord transitions and the things work together and it's in a key that's comfortable for you and the <laughs> congregation. And it's like the reality is we need to be worshiping God, our creator, remembering who he is for us and sitting under the, the word of God and listening to you or whoever's preaching, like hopefully preach or talk or ask questions in a way that gets us as people to reflect and meditate and consider our life and then and then leave and live life together as yeah and that's that's part of it too it's not just leaving to go live as isolated Correct. beings but living within community even leaving that place to go to hoppers and to share a drink and to talk about life and whatever else is is going on sorry i never answered your original question i don't even remember what it was but it was fun it was my, <laughs> what is my process? Oh. oh. Oh, yeah. It sounded like you just, you, you read some stuff. This week, you... I, I read the, I read N.T. Wright's commentary. You sent me some commentaries. I read them. Uh, and throughout the week, I just kind of thought like, all right, this is kind of a strange passage. I told a few buddies like there, there doesn't seem, it was John 18, Jesus and Pilate's interaction. And it, off the surface, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of application. Tell us, actually, before we get into that, like, tell us, give us the, the story in a, you know, in a minute or less yeah like what what's happening in the text yeah and i will i will correct myself and, and repent publicly my wife talked to me and she was like hey you said a few times most of us know this story and i shouldn't say that because i'm i'm used to the bible belt you know where i'm from is i'm used to everyone like being ingrained and soaked in sunday school and that's just not necessarily the case up here so well i mean i don't think it's the case uh, you you have more um you know not allegiances, but you have your talons sunk into the South. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Does That's have I don't know. <laughs> Do they exactly have what I was just thinking. Do they have talons? You, you, you have like, uh, you know, your experiences with the South yeah. is, is more than just my keep own. keep making claws I've got, with I've got a lot of friends that were pastors there, but it seems to me that the Bible has become a foreign entity in most places yes. of worship. Like one of the things that we try to be really intentional about doing at TRP is including biblical passages. So throughout our worship set, we usually have an Old Testament reading. We usually have some sort of New Testament reading. You, most of the time, these are all from the lectionary, unless I see some other um, things that we can bring in, other co-texts, if you will, that will help us to understand the sermon later. But there's different readings of Scripture, and sometimes they get commentary and sometimes they don't. But I want people to hear... Yeah our sacred text, because they're not going to hear it anywhere else, and they're probably not going to read it on their own, nor do I even think that reading it on their own is necessarily a good idea, because right. we don't 
have the tools to understand what this ancient, old, dusty text is saying. You, you, you go ahead and open up Leviticus and just hang out for a bit, and yeah. you make sense of that for me. Yeah. Without knowing anything about the ancient Near Eastern context and the sacrificial system. It doesn't make any sense, yeah. but yet we, we keep saying, oh, you should do this. And it can be dangerous, but I just, yeah, I don't think people read the Bible, let alone understand the Bible, let alone are familiar with the Bible in most contexts, yeah. even Bible Belt. And what a disservice we do whenever we read five verses and then talk for 35 minutes about what we want to say. Yeah, what a disservice we do when we know what we want to say before we even look at a text. Yeah. It's like, oh, I want to talk about marriage. Okay, well... What are you going to do with that? Back right? me up, guys. I want to do a five-week series on finances. I, I bet there's some good stuff from Proverbs. You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? Why Leave the Bible out of it. You want to talk about Dave Ramsey? Talk about Dave Ramsey, but don't bring the Bible into it, because Dave Ramsey has nothing to do with the Bible. St. Ramsey. <laughs> I've got thoughts on that, but I don't, I don't want to say them right here and right now. But if people are trying to get out of debt, then more power to them. That's great. So John 18. Thank you. <laughs> You're Thank welcome. you. Tessa, any thoughts, any thoughts to add in before we go to John 18? I got nothing on Dames, Dames Ramsby. <laughs> Dames Ramsby. I used to listen to a lot of Dave Ramsey on the ride home from my parents' house to, to back here in Salisbury. It's like a 35-minute drive, and it w- always seemed like the time we were leaving there was the time his radio show was on. So Kate and I would always listen to them. And I, I enjoy like the financial advice, but it was always so frustrating when they would get to the part of like the debt free screamers. And it was like, oh, you guys paid off $400,000 worth of debt in, in two months. How'd you do it? Oh, my husband here, uh, he's, you know, he's in the NBA and he makes uh, 18 million. So it was pretty easy. It's still, it's like, we're yeah. like, uh, my husband is a, is a chemical engineer and I'm a pediatrician. It's and like, we live in my we, parents' basement. Like, what are we, we talking about? Yeah. You know, what? This isn't real life. Yeah. Give me, give me a school teacher and a stay at home mom or, you know, like give me some of these real scenarios where people had to chip away for 37 years to get to this debt free yeah. screen. And that's, that's not off topic because that's what we've been talking about this entire time is our culture loves to soak in the artificial. That's why we, that's why I love the movies. That's why I love fiction. That's why I love things that, you know, are bright and shiny and clean and like, yeah, we paid off all of our debt. You can do that too. But we need like that's like wanting to eat dessert all the time. You know, like we need authenticity and we need like the real life story of like, hey, I'm I'm a pastor and like finances are hard. You know, like or I'm a school teacher and, you know, my spouse stays at home and we have three kids and we are not debt free. Yeah. We are far from debt-free, you know? Like, those are the types of things that we need as a culture. I don't know what else to say about that. Well, and, and maybe, maybe John 18 speaks to some of that. Yeah. That's our segue. Yeah, well... <laughs> so tell us about John 18. John 18, you've got... And John is always so fun. You've got Jesus and Pilate. That's a word. I would pick a different word for John, but you can say, you can say fun. Spicy. Uh, that, uh, those are none of my words. <laughs> You're a theologian. I'm just a. I'm just. I just have fun in what you like live in. So I'm gonna. I'll stay in my lane. John 18. Jesus and Pilate. Jesus is taken to Pilate, who is the Roman governor of Judea, 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 and they say, "Hey, 
do something with this guy. And Pilate's like, well, what did he do wrong? And the crowd, the angry mob of Jewish leaders says, he did something wrong or else we wouldn't have brought him to you. And that's it. So Jesus and Pilate have their conversation. Pilate goes back to Jesus and says, hey, are you the king of the Jews? Which is a very loaded question. And Jesus says, are you asking me this because you think I'm the king of the Jews or because someone has told you I'm the king of the Jews? Pilate avoids this question and says, I'm not a Jew. You're, you're a Jew, buddy. Not me. Your people brought you here, so what did you do wrong? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, which is super loaded. And he says, if my kingdom was of this world, wouldn't my people have tried to fight your people by now, which hasn't happened? Uh, he says, my kingdom is not from this world. Pilate says, so you're admitting you're a king then? <laughs> Jesus says, you are saying I'm a king, <laughs> which is, you know, I'm not going to say yes or no, but you're saying I'm a king. Do you think up to this point a normal person would have any freaking idea what's happening as they're reading this passage? How could they? You know, like, I mean, so I will say if if that person has spent their life reading the Hebrew Bible, reading the Old Testament, familiarizing themselves and acquainting themselves. That's, well, that's a that's a big if. Yeah, that's like, which I mean, my my class in seminary right now is Genesis through Song of Songs. And there's so much in, like, the line of David and, like, David as king. Israel even having a king at all. Like, because Israel's king was God for a long time. And then they're like, hey, give, so give us a physical one so like everybody else. But this idea of king and who is the real king of Israel and who is the real king of the world is, like, a huge thing in the OT. But we miss it. It's not easy to see unless you know. This Unless is someone why, tells you. This is why I spent my life studying the Old Testament. Because in order to understand the New Testament, Correct. you need to understand the Old Testament. Correct. And we've sort of like sidestepped the entire first two-thirds of our text, the Old Testament, except for a couple of greatest hits, you know? Genesis creation. Genesis only the creation story and David. That's a that's a good summary. That's all we know. And that's all the church Psalms. cares about these days. Yeah, a few psalms, like David's greatest hits, like you said. David didn't write the psalms. Okay. <clears throat> but <laughs> Jesus tells Pilate that uh, his kingdom is defined by the truth, and that his voice is the voice of truth. Voice of I know. Truth. I, was, I was waiting for somebody to bust Definitely into the, another Mercy Me song. For the second week in a row, we got to throw a shout out to Mercy Me. Do, 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 do. Says, do not be afraid. Yeah, let's not do Sorry, that. Sorry, my, my drink is empty now, so cue the Mercy Me karaoke. <laughs> it's not what happens wife, when your drink is empty. I hope my wife doesn't make it this far of the podcast. Let's just say that. Um, <laughs> Does she detest Mercy Me as much as I do? She'll detest a lot of what I've done on okay, this podcast well. so far. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, the story ends. Basically, Pilate says, what is truth? You know, Small question. Just kind <laughs> no of ignores deal. everything Jesus has said to a point. And then says, hey, Jesus is innocent to this angry mob. You want me to let him go? And they're like, nah. Why don't you give us the rebel Barabbas? Release this brigand. 
which is the word N.T. Wright uses. Yeah, and that's, that's a great word because the most English translations go with thief. Yeah. But it's 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 a much more loaded Greek term. Yeah. Like you said, revolutionary, insurrectionist. I don't know what brigand means, but it sounds... It sounds cool. Sounds right. It sounds like a pirate. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's more than a petty thief. And similarly, when Jesus is crucified... Correct. ...flanked by... The two thieves on the cross. Yes, same, same term. word. Yeah. So they're not just oh they went and stole some candy from the, you know, gas station. Yeah, I don't know why that's what we've always imagined in my head is like this guy stole a loaf of bread and now he's getting murdered next to yeah. Jesus. A uh, brigand is a member of a gang that ambushes and robs people in forests and mountains. So Robin Hood. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly what I thought too. I and I thought that because Abe wanted a new book to read at. At bedtime, and I had the Robin Hood stories I over here. I saw he was reading that. Gave it to him. Okay, so th- there's a, there's a lot going on in this passage. Yeah. One of the words that you used a lot on Sunday to describe it was irony. Tell us about that. Yeah. So so reading this, you know, looking at it whenever he asked me to, or when I landed on this day to preach and looking at the lectionary, at first I was like, "What the frick am I going to talk about?" You know, because it's just off the top of the head, it's just a story. It's like, all right, Jesus and Pilate and leadership and. There's some Jewish leadership, kingship stuff happening. Most people would would definitely camp out on the what is truth, and then they'd launch into this diatribe about capital T truth and how absolute truth is being corrupted in our society. Yeah, run from the liberals. Yes. Um, I'm glad you didn't do that. No, I didn't. (laughs) I I knew pretty early on that I wanted to talk about kingdom, Um, and I wanted to talk about you know, Jesus talking about my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah, and uh, N.T. Wright goes in a different direction there with that. Break that down for us. What's his What's his change, and why is that important? Yeah, I, I love N.T. Wright. I really do. Um, sorry, I'm leaning in my chair, and it's creaking. Um, I, I I started listening to, I think when we, whenever, we, maybe when we first met, Josh, we got Rise Up, and I told you that I listened to N.T. Wright when I work out. I don't work out anymore, but I still like N.T. Wright. Um, N.T. Wright is a pretty famous New Testament theologian, um, and and he talks about whenever this word "not of this world" gets translated, he he would prefer it to be translated as "not from this world" or "doesn't originate in this world." Um, he says whenever we think about Jesus saying, "My kingdom isn't of this world," we think about it as being like otherworldly or like alien or like so spiritual that it doesn't belong here. Um, and N.T. Wright wanted to remind us, you know, in his commentary, uh, John for everyone, he wanted to remind us, like, hey, don't forget Jesus in his Lord's Prayer, like, teaches his disciples to pray that his kingdom would come to this earth. It's just not from this earth. Like, it doesn't have the same rules or the same, you know, definitions of success or of power as this world, but it definitely belongs in this world. It is for this world. It's just not from this world. Do either of you feel like that point is largely missed, not just in how this phrase is translated? Like, so for Wright, it's not just when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, it's, he's meaning it's not from this world. So you could just focus and say, there's a better way to translate that. But even just his larger point, do you think that's missed in, in most sectors of the American church? Probably. Like, have we have we over spiritualized? Well, Jesus? we over spiritualize most things. 
Yes. What does that look like? Over-spiritualizing? Yeah, like how, what does that look like within a church context to just focus on the the spiritual otherworldliness oh of huge. Jesus? It's making it about us and about what we will eventually be and not about what we're doing while we're here. Or that if if you're thinking of his kingdom being somewhere out there and not here, then why does this why would this place matter? Yeah. Yeah, we get off the hook. Yeah, right. for sure. Like I, I I'm I'm thinking of images of and this is not a bust on people that drive big trucks, but somebody in a huge truck saying, well, what's it matter? It's all going to burn anyway. Like I literally that. had a youth pastor that, that taught that in Sunday school. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's not, it's not in my head because it, you know, fails to exist in the world. These are re- realities yeah. where this Christian teaching is who cares about this place? We're going somewhere else. Right. And Jesus is calling us to be not in the world, but of the world, no, not, not of, of the world, world, but whatever. In the world. Yeah, get out of here. Be an, be an alien. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't be don't be a part of any of this. Which is also that same intonation of whenever somebody starts whispering about you've let culture influence you. There's this undertone of we should be divorced from anything earthy. But that's think, not what's happening here. I think too. You're like when you're talking about capital T truth. If you think that you are an ambassador of capital T Truth and mm. that the kingdom isn't this place and you shouldn't be a part of the culture, yeah. I feel like you get yourself off the hook with saying certain stuff to people too. You get to be an like ass. You get, exactly. Yeah. You get to be a total jerk to somebody. I'm glad we can cuss about And make yourself sure. feel better about it because... You're just an, an ambassador for the whenever, capital T truth. Right. Whenever yeah. somebody goes the capital T truth route in this passage, it's usually going to get derailed into an anti this, an anti that. We need to stand up and get back to our values sort of talk. Yeah. And my truth is more important than your feelings. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm so just, who cares I'm just how speaking you feel in love. I'm, I'm just speaking the truth in love. Yeah. Which all there's I'm no doing. love about it. No. Except for love for themselves. It's self-righteousness and yeah. sanctimony and and ridiculousness. And that's that's what a lot of sectors of the church has become, thinking that Jesus is talking about a spiritual kingdom that has nothing to do with here and now. This is one of the reasons like why our church has the funkiest name that I know of, that that like the restoration project, because we believe that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is restoring all things here. Yeah. The the story has its conclusion here. It's not this place is going to burn and we're going to float away into yeah. some ether out there somewhere. That's not what it changes everything. Like that that idea changes everything. Like I I vividly remember when I went to college. I started listening to this organization called The Bible Project, which was founded by Tim Mackey and John something. I forget his last name. Sorry. Sorry, John. He's not important. (laughs) It's just Tim Mackey. He's just not as marketable, man. He's not as marketable. No offense. Side note, uh, rank rank them in order of influence, N.T. Wright, Tim Mackey, because these are your two guys. Yeah. These are your two white men who have influenced you. They're pretty high on my list. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's... 
There is a podcast where Tim Mackey and N.T. Wright talk about the translation and the use of the word euangelion in the New Testament. Bless you. And so many bearded white boys with glasses, heads exploded yeah. in that moment they just where they're two felt heroes. a certain way that I shouldn't <laughs> say on this podcast. But intimate. I like them both. Intimate yeah. would be the evangelical With their goatskin ESV. <laughs> Uh, yes, there is a community out there that... I have no idea what you guys are This is very about. inside baseball right there now. There is a community very out there. To bring everyone in, there is a community out there, a niche, a niche community that highly, highly, highly values expensive animal Bibles <laughs> that are made from the, the skin of a pure lamb. And I literally knew guys that would write only with like because two hundred dollar pins. They're wide margins. They wouldn't let anyone touch their Bible. I knew a guy that would get angry at you if you put your Bible on top of his Bible, because his was this the is John, so freaking pretentious. His was the John MacArthur commentary, and so if you put anything on top of your Bible, he was automatically accusing you of valuing things before the Lord. But if you couldn't put your Bible on top of his Bible, because his was even better than yours, because. For that guy, John MacArthur, John MacArthur is the Lord, which God help us all. Okay. Okay, so cross-country road to trip. <laughs> We're back. Let's get back to it. We're back. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, yep. he he talks about, what is the hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his glorious face, wonderful face. And the, and the things of earth will, go, will grow strangely dim in the light of his wonder, glory and grace. Yep. Sorry, Sorry for all you traditionals out there. I messed up the words. But it's a great hymn. I love hymns. We sing hymns to my son every night. We put him to sleep. But there is a fundamental, and we have to def- define what we mean by things of earth. Because John and John 18 talks about kingdom is not of this world, right? Which doesn't, like N.T. Wright says, it doesn't mean it doesn't belong here. It means it doesn't have the same values, as this world and its operating systems of and power. And th- this is the irony as Correct. well that's coming out in this passage. Correct. And so Tim Mackey talks about, just like you're saying, whenever we think about, all right, I'm just going to focus on Jesus and I'm going to let everything of this world fade away. We're missing a fundamental thing that whenever we look at the things of Jesus, whenever we fix our eyes on Jesus, like creation should look better. Yeah, it's it should hi- look it's brighter. focused Right, like, like you should start to see God's fingerprint on every person you see. You should start to see God's handiwork in creation and in like leadership when it's handled well, and in power and systems of government that could work to like enact justice in places the, where there is injustice. The more progressive take would even be you begin to see Christ in everyone. Which I know that that's that's a different sort of theological approach than maybe some people are comfortable with, but it's like exactly what you're saying. It's not a diminishing of the world. Why are people uncomfortable with that? Because they would say that Draw in order for Christ to be in you, there has to be some sort of mental assent and verbal affirmation of but that. But if everyone is made in the image, then... They would see that as something that's different. So being created in the image is different than Christ in you. Christ in you is a real... Pauline phrase. Yeah. If I had a nickel for every time my New Testament professors talked about union with Christ at the PCA, the Presbyterian Church of America seminary that I went to, I would have a butt 
ton of nickels because it's all they ever talked about. And it wasn't everybody's in union. It was only they would they their language would be the elect, the predestined, the 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 followers. Yeah. So that's different than other people who are not in union. So the goal is to become in union. And that's some of the irony, right? The irony of what I was talking about yesterday on Sunday was like what marks success in this world. If Jesus is saying my kingdom is not of this world, what does he mean? What is he saying? And what are kingdoms of this world marked and defined by? Which would be hard, hard lines, right? Like we talked about Pilate and Pilate's definition of success and definition of power, which was violence, right? Pilate was in the Roman Empire, so he saw many a rebellion squelched, squished, crushed, which like was killing people, you know? Like power was transitioned in this time by either family lines or murder. Which makes the Jesus uh, question, are you a king? Laughable. Correct. Silly. Not even within the the periphery of what he's thinking. Like, this guy? You? Homeless Jewish rabbi? What, yeah. what, what's happening here? Yeah. What is this? You don't have an army. <laughs> you don't kill people who get in your way. Like, how are you going to lead anybody? Yeah. And the, the irony is Jesus is presenting himself as... He doesn't come out and say, yes, I'm a king, but he does say, I have a kingdom. And that kingdom is marked by my voice which we can kind of read into like my teachings, right? Would, would you also say that when Jesus says, uh, my kingdom is not from this world, that what he's getting at is the, th- the things that I'm after are counter-cultural. They're counterintuitive. It's not power. It's submission. It's not, um, you know, violence. It's self-sacrifice. It's sort of like turning all the things that the world is privileging and saying, it's the opposite. So like what Jesus has been saying all through Mark, if you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want to be great, you have to be servant of all. It's just turning everything on its head. Is that sort of what's happening here? Or do you think there's more of a component of like this Jesus as truth that's at work? No, I'll, I'll lean towards the first one. Um, because I think what Jesus is getting at when he says like, my kingdom is marked by truth and the you know, those who listen to my voice are in this kingdom. And I think whenever we think about what does he mean by those who listen to my voice and by my voice being the voice of truth, like I the think it's... <laughs> sorry, yeah, just got to do it. In my head, it's less like Jesus is claiming, you know, I have, you know, and he does like have hold on capital T truth, which I agree with, but I think it's more like what I have taught the way of life that I have lived, that I have proclaimed, that the if you want to be first, you need to be last. If you want the seat of honor, take the least yeah. of these. You know, like the way you have treated the least of these is the way you have treated the king. Right? That passage that Susie referenced last week, he, Jesus says, The king will respond. The way you have treated the least of these is the way you've treated me. See, and this is the interesting part is because in other texts trying to think if John stresses this. I don't know if it's as clear, but at at least in Mark, the people that Jesus would say that are a part of his kingdom might not even know it. 
I'm not trying to be super provocative with that. I'm just saying that the people who are living in that counterintuitive, sort of backwards, Jesus-y way aren't doing it like my seminary professors that are talking about, in order to be in union, you must do X, Y, and Z. Because for them, it was mental assent, verbal affirmation, like checking the boxes. But in the text, yeah, it seems to be you're living in a way that's emblematic of an otherworldly kingdom. That's why people got mad at C.S. Lewis for... What is it, The Last Battle? But see, I don't know if they really did get mad at C.S. Lewis. They get mad at Rob Bell for saying the yeah. same stuff that C.S. Lewis did. Yeah. But C.S. Lewis has been canonized because he wrote fairy tales for kids. In his time, were people mad at him? I assume so. I don't know if everyone knows why. So there's a character that in the in the final battle or the last battle or whatever, the final book of the Chronicles of Narnia, which are basically canonized gospel to me, um, to you and to a large majority correct. of other people. This tattoo is a C.S. Lewis quote. Okay. A few things in life are greater. <laughs> okay. All it's, right. For everyone at home listening, it's a campfire on my arm, forearm, uh, in watercolor style. And it says, few things are greater. Because the C.S. Lewis quote that I got off the internet says, <laughs> says, few things in life are greater than a circle of Christian friends around a good fire. I usually leave out Christian when I explain Have you confirmed that. that he really said this? The internet told me that he okay. did. <laughs> I do not have the physical book of him saying it, but okay. Well, there's a character we'll in the final battle or the last battle. I forget what it's called. There's a character that is on the other side. Like we have basically the good guys, the bad side, yeah, and the bad guys. And there's a character on the bad side who, towards the end of the book, kind of has been living this countercultural way. Has not wanted to go through with the, you know, bad things that their leader wants them to do, and. At the but end of but the, has not become part of the, correct, the good army. Never really joins the good side. But Aslan talks about Jesus. he was, yeah, Aslan, a.k.a. God, the big lion. Uh, Aslan talks about he was serving me all along. He just didn't know it. And that's where people get kind of mad. Which at, at the time is like right around, and we're getting a little far afield here, but there's a uh, Catholic theologian named Karl Rahner who was talking about anonymous Christians, people who were Christians, but they didn't know it. They were sort of, uh, you know, anonymously and unknowingly serving Jesus, which people nowadays would say, that's a, a bit insensitive, not, not insensitive, but like sort of pompous, you know? Maybe they're just good people. Why do we have to put a label on that? But for, for people like in the 50s, 60s, I don't re- remember when C.S. Lewis was, maybe a little bit before that, but like that sort of inclusive, it's not just mental assent, verbal affirmation, it's other people that are a part of this. That was kind of emerging. But yeah, he gets a, he gets a huge pass on that. Yeah. yeah, he does. So I don't know if this is related to anything that we've been talking about, but I want to jump back to... That rereading of the line, not uh, my kingdom is not of this world, but rather my kingdom is not from this world. Tessa, in in your estimation, when N.T. Wright or Colin or myself, we get up there and we say, you know, you know, um, the English translation that you have is, is actually incorrect. And a better translation would be whatever we go on to say. What, what's going through your head at that moment? Are you thinking, this guy's a huge doofus? Well, now I'm used to it. 
Okay, maybe maybe walk us back to seven years ago or so when you were just coming to terms with this guy thinks he can reread the English Bible. But you can. Okay, so now does that mean that I see your I see where you're coming from. I mean, I think I think it can be overwhelming because it's like okay, well then I can't read this on my own ever. Yeah, I think for the normal TRP person, old news, right? Because we talk about we talk about the Bible in that way all the time. But what do you think? Colin rolls up to random church on a Sunday morning and, and give, delivers that line. Ah, you know, your Bible say this, but really it means that. Do you think people are ready for that? Can they, can they handle that? Some. Not all. See, I, I, I do want to say, like, at least in my experience, there was such, when I was younger, still, but I'm still young, but when I was early in my preaching, and the only way I can speak to this so clearly is because I read an article about don't do this. But I was so tempted to go on my phone and had an app called Blue Letter Bible. Mm-hmm. And I would go on my phone and I click on like Hebrew or Greek interlinear. And I would just go through and look for any of like the big buzzwords, like where it was like a phrase translated into a word or whatever, like any of the big words in our verse. Like I remember I was teaching, I taught on the prodigal son, which was super fun. But I went through and I was like, guys, actually, the Greek word for he remembered is like he came back to himself. And what if we just come back to ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like, and there's this huge emotional moment and it's super landed. And I think there's such a temptation for like when it comes to the original languages, it's basically like having the ultimate power. Yeah. You're basically saying like, I'm the Sith Lord. I mean, it's a little like how the Catholic Church exactly. does it. My grandfather was never, like, they never read the Bible at home because the priest was the one who went between yeah. the word Hopefully and did it, God. Yeah. Do you yeah, think, yeah. so I was talking trash a, a, a bit ago about, you know, oh, I know what I'm going to say, and I'm just going to smack a verse on the end of it. Yeah. Do you think that this, in theory, is any any real, it, it's, it's that much different? So you've got some people that are like, I've got these things to say, and I'm just going to smack a Bible verse on it. And you've got other people over here that are like, ah, these people don't know anything. I'm just going to talk about Greek and Hebrew. Do you think those are, are those like equally destructive slash unhelpful? Or are they totally no. different? They're totally different. To okay. Me. But I think they can have the same effect, even though they are different, maybe different motivation or coming from a different place. Like I was always coming from it. Well, to be honest, I'll tell you where I'm coming from. It's I want to land. I want I want to have a good talk. I want to do something that's going to either be emotional or well, not necessarily today, but then, like, I wanted to like that was my that was my like gotcha moment. You know, like the real word is he came back to himself. You know, ooh, ah, like, and then everyone leans in, and that's like I gotcha. You know, <laughs> gotcha. But now for for NT right now, I think it was more like. What is this verse actually trying to say? Yeah, so he, where he's going and, and where you where you took him was, we need to understand what's happening, and in, the only way we can do that is by paying attention to the original languages yeah. here. There are moments, especially early in my, in my preaching, where it's like, if I could get this tidbit of knowledge that I knew not many other people had, I would flex that. Yeah. One of the, one of the things I remember going to was... Um, Agape. So in Christian circles, like, oh, agape is like this divine love. You know, it's this different quality love. And then I would say, 
except in the Septuagint when agape is the same word that's used for Amnon when he rapes Tamar. He agapes her. It was like, yikes. <laughs> yeah, Gotta so go. Like, so that's not, that's different than a land. That's a, y'all don't know your Bible like you think you do, or you've heard some stuff in the past that's not really been true, and I want to undo that. And sometimes that's been really destructive. Yeah, I was going to say, that can be, that can come from a healthy place of like, hey, what you have been taught or what you have conce- preconceived notions about isn't necessarily true. And like, let's, let's talk through that carefully to not dismantle your faith. Like I was on a phone, uh, I do seminary online and a few weeks ago, as you mentioned earlier, maybe all the Psalms weren't written by David. And we talked through like, what would it mean to the American church to think about Psalm 23 not being written by David? And I just was like, I raised my hand first and I was like, I would be sad. Like literally like I have an emotional connection to the idea that Psalm 23 was written by David. I put my scholarship aside. I put my literary analysis aside. The fact that it says uh, the house of the Lord, which David didn't build. He wanted to build, you know, i.e. the temple. I put that all aside and my emotional response is, I don't want to hear anybody tell me that Psalm 23 wasn't written by David because I'm going to be pissed and I'm going to be sad. That's wild. But it's true. That's where my heart is, yeah. you know? And so that's where I think this conversation can be. But I think there's also the other side of it where it can be the shock factor. Like, agape isn't what you think it is. Ooh, God. I mean, because that's, that's like a stark contrast. Correct. Divine love raping your sister. Yeah. I mean, those are very... Very different concepts. It's something, it's a, a very powerful thing to wield. Yeah. You know? And that's... That See, it's weird because, the other, like, you you would be hurt, and I would, like, me learning that David didn't write the Psalms, at least not necessarily, was like a breath of fresh air. For some reason, that was, like, life-giving to me. And I don't know why. And that's, I've always wanted to sort of dispense that information. And sometimes it comes off as arrogant and me trying to be destructive. I think that might be more earlier, but now it's like, I just want people to know what it is. And there's that weird line of how much is too much, how far is too far. Because anytime you say, well, your English Bible says this, but really, you're you're sowing seeds of doubt in the text, which is, is a, in most cases, it's a good and fine translation. There's a lot of interpretation that goes on with reading the Bible in, in its original languages. There has to be taking it from that ancient world to our world. And so it, it shouldn't be a matter of your Bible is wrong. It should be there's another way to see this that might be more potentially beneficial as we read this text, you know? Yeah. All right, Colin, land this plane for us because we got, uh, we've got... Pilate saying, what is truth? I don't want to talk about that um, because I think we've hit on that a bit. But but bring Barabbas into it mm. and sort of land the the irony plane. Yeah. The, the plane of irony, as I like to call it. Um, the ironic part. Wow, that was really Southern. Ironic. The ironic part is everything that Pilate is worried Jesus is, 
like we talked earlier, like Pilate's view of power would be violence and oppression and rebellion and you know, literally fighting those who are in your way to order in order to get what you want. And that's why we said it's kind of laughable that he asks Jesus, Are you a king? Because in every in every category that Pilate has for how the world works, this guy is not a king. This Jesus guy is a bum. Barabbas, the brigand, the revolutionary, you know, the Robin Hood-esque character, not as noble, um, if you think Robin Hood's noble. But this guy who is in imprisoned and who the crowd wants released is exactly everything Pilate is afraid of. You know, we don't know for sure what Barabbas did to be imprisoned, but it's pretty likely that he killed people, that he led some sort of rebellion against Rome that led in, you know, potentially people being killed, maybe many people being killed. Judas Maccabeus was a few hundred years early. Uh, how, I don't actually know how many years uh, earlier. One, 160 BC. Yeah, so 100 whatever years earlier. Tried to lead a physical revolution against Rome. This was like a recurring thing over time. Like Jesus Correct. was not the only mess- potential messianic right. figure within a 200 or so year span. There yeah. was a lot of coulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda types yeah. that, that showed up that didn't finish the job. Right. Which is why, you know, when Jesus dies, right. everyone's expecting the revolution to be over because everybody else, when they died, they stayed dead. Right. And their crew of people sort of dissipated. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's I think the church misses out on not knowing that, you know, because it's, it's really important to know, like, Jesus wasn't the first, you know, self-proclaimed Messiah. Like Jesus, and Jesus didn't proclaim it that much, but there were... Depends on who you read. Right, correct. This wasn't necessarily a new thing. And so when Jesus dies, like you mentioned, like everyone's like, all right, like, yes, that guy sucked again. He failed. And that's why on the road to Emmaus, it's so cool. Like Jesus appearing to his disciples afterwards and... I think I heard Tim Mackey say, like, the road to Emmaus, Emmaus was where the Maccabean revolt got crushed. So, like, it was almost this parallelism of, like, Mm -hmm. all right, 130 years ago or whatever, this guy tried to lead this physical revolution, you know, Judas the Hammer, Maccabeus, like, trying to literally slaughter people in order to bring about freedom to Israel. And Jesus is like, hey, that's not how my kingdom is going to operate. Which is the irony that, that Pilate releases Barabbas who operates of this world, right? Who operates based on violence and oppression and revolution and power in negative ways. And then Jesus is saying, hey, that's not, how, that's not what my kingdom is about. Um, my kingdom is about the truth and what he's taught about who is in and who is out. The least of these are just as, if not more important than those we would consider to be the most important. Bring, bring Barabbas up to speed, either, either of you. Like, what does a Barabbas kingdom look like in 21st century um, American context right here and right now? Mm. That's a tough one. Yeah, it's hard, right? Like, because I don't want, I don't want to say, I mean, look at what the media right now, you know, look at what's happening right now. Like, a lot of people are mad about decisions that are being made and high profile cases about who is right and who is wrong. What is justice? How does our court system handle 
acts of violence? You know, how do we, as a people, as a nation, respond to like those who we deem deserving it, getting it, or those who we deem not deserving it, you know, getting it, quote unquote. And our culture all around us, like, especially these days, is like kind of bloodthirsty. Like we kind of want to see people fail. We kind of want to see people fall, right? I mean, look at the look at the popularity of the Mars Hill podcast. Like it's kind of addicting. Like most of us love true crime. Most of us love watching things and listening to things and consuming things that are all based on kind of this like idea of karma, right? There's people. also like no nuance in any of it. It's all like we want people to be put into one category and that's it. Yeah. And the media is so polarizing too, which makes it, I don't know. I love that word that you use. Like it's bloodthirsty on either side. The left just wants the right to be shown to be as stupid as the left thinks that they are. And the right is just waiting for the left to all die because they have the vaccine. Yeah. You know, so it's like we're we're just sort of in this in between and we sort of hate each other and we pretend like we don't hate each other. And there's just this infighting. What what does the way of Jesus? What's the kingdom of Jesus look like lived out now? Yeah. What would it look like for us to be counter countercultural to that? How can we live in the in the nuance, in the in between, in the not bloodthirsty? Yeah, that's what I'm asking myself every day. I mean, that was what I that was where I landed my sermon was, hey, I don't necessarily have this answer. But I know that as I'm writing this sermon, I'm trying to think, how does this affect decisions that I make at work every day? How does this affect, I'm a teacher, so how does this affect how I view a student that I just want to throw out of my classroom or a student that I just want to label off as annoying or a problem student or how I view my job at, at all, like how I view my interactions or my relationship with those who are above me in my job and Hey, is this just like a business relationship and I just want to I just want to either promote myself or get out of your office or is like are there ways for me to be bringing the kingdom of truth and of least of these in my every day-to-day job and every day-to-day decisions? It's difficult. Like that's you know Dan Hakim asked a good question a few weeks back like what does this look like for our, the average person in rural America? You know, in the booming metropolis of Salisbury, Maryland. Like it's on one hand, it feels like a huge question that is almost impossible to answer. And on the other hand, I think it's, it can be simpler than we think. And I think it can be loving our neighbor and like, who is my neighbor? You know, <laughs> like, you know how Jesus like goes one step back. It's like, yeah. you've heard it said, don't kill. Well, I say, don't even be angry. Or you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, well, don't even think lustful thoughts. I wonder if we could go one step back and even think about like our our rhetoric, our tone, like just being removed from the bloodthirst yeah. conversationally. You know, because I'm I'm not out on the streets, you know, with my <clears throat> my my right and my left, you know, my jabs and my uppercuts. But in a certain context, I love to one up people verbally yeah that's where like i try to jab folks and sometimes that's intentional and sometimes it just kind of comes out but what would it look like to be 
countercultural to that and to be an agent of peace in this really unsettling and hate-filled time. You know, like you were talking on Sunday, it, it, we think about these big monster moments of like, selling homes and donating cars and mostly things surrounding money, you know, but what if it's just not being a huge douche online? Yeah. What if that's the kingdom? Which is actually should be pretty easy to do. <laughs> online, it should, online it In should theory. be. Yeah. It can uh, be difficult, yeah. you know, and the way our gut reactions to things like, I mean, at work, I'm in education, and like people love to talk negative about education. My my father in law's advice was don't hang out in the teachers' lounge, because everyone just wants to hate everyone, or the system, or the yeah, leadership, the administration, the students. Like everyone just wants to talk about what's negative. And I'm not saying that all teachers are bad. Like we we all love our kids, most of us, and like we have 95 percent of the things that I interact with every day are awesome, but. Those five percent are what want to draw my attention and what I want to talk about, and I want to be like, yeah, that does suck. Like this new thing is so stupid, and it's like, what if I just like didn't participate in those conversations, or like you know, just I'm not saying like yell, don't gossip at people at work, but I'm saying yeah. like you can you make a choice, right? You make a choice to be involved in that, and and what if it's how I relate to my family, you know, like how I treat my wife and how I how I view my time with my son, or how I view my parents. Like it's difficult, you know, but... Heading into Thanksgiving... Yeah, for real. With all of the table talk and the opportunities... Gosh, it's so hard for me just to sit there and not say anything when I yeah. so desperately want to attempt to show myself to be the smart one, the educated one, the progressive one, the fill-in-the-blank with whatever adjective I think is good and fitting. It's difficult to, to step away and, and be the loving one and yeah. the peaceful one. Tessa, I'm curious, and I think we can we can end here. Your vocation is very different than what even is my well, vocation? Well, we'll get into that. Like Collins <laughs> next week's podcast. Collins yeah, in geez. the in the school system doing stuff. He's got his church stuff going on. I'm I'm doing doing my thing. I view you as a you're a professional artist, whether it's graphics and designs for the church or whether it's the side hustles that you do or the work that you do with. Um, some other creative outlets. Um, how do you think you can utilize those skills, like your artistic nature in a my kingdom is not from this world sort of way? Phrase that question in a different way. That's a tough one. How can I phrase this, the last part a second, a different way? How can you be an artist who champions a countercultural hmm. way of life through the graphic design that you do or the thoughtful content that you put forth for people to view cuz like in your world you're you're trying to create a response i imagine how can you can you tie those those two things together? Yeah, I mean, I think art has forever been used in a lot of ways in culture yeah. to steer people in certain directions or to provoke thoughts or 
to, um, I don't know, I immediately thought of social media, I guess, is the, the easiest and biggest platform for artists to use in order to get things out there that encourage people to love each other well, um, to consider how they're living, to... Um, it's tough, especially like for any vocation, for any person trying to make sense of how do I take the Jesus-y stuff and let that lead in whatever I'm doing, even as a pastor. It seems like it's a no-brainer, but it's difficult Yeah, because it's not just preaching a sermon. It's how do you challenge the things that need to be challenged while encouraging... Because like when you go to social media, it's so negative. It's overwhelmingly negative that the, the first inclination is, well, I want to be a ray of light on people's feeds. Yes, but also there are certain things that maybe folks need to be pushed to think about in a, in a provocative way. So you've got that balance of not playing into the anger, the hate, the polarization, but also not just avoiding it and playing it safe. It's terribly difficult. I mean, I this isn't art-related, but generally on Facebook, I try to, like, none of my statuses are serious things, usually, on Facebook anyway. And when they are, I notice them. Yeah. I mean, today it was like, this is this is the time when I wish Radio Shack was around. <laughs> it's like... Just well, I hate Radio stupid. Shack. Yeah, Radio like, Shack's terrible. Just like a little bit of levity, just stupid, funny stuff, because there's enough negativity on the internet Yeah, already. But then you can also create pieces of art that have caused people to leave our church. Yeah. You know? Good job. So it's yeah. like when you, when you <laughs> feel passionately about something and you want to put it out there and people have a visceral reaction to it, Maybe because they're unwilling to think through what you're trying to say and what you're communicating and what the larger point might be. Yeah. Those are the lines where it's like, draw them. You know, I think Jesus wants us to draw those. That's not you being polarizing. That's you saying something that you think is is meaningful, but in hopefully in a way that isn't you in a big truck screaming, well, it's all going to burn anyway, so I'm just saying the truth in love. I own a Toyota Highlander, so <laughs> LOL. it's not a big truck. No. Well, yeah. this, this, is, this is a tough text. It's a fun text. There's a, it's a loaded text. There's a lot of stuff going on there. But if you're still with us, and I know that you are, because this has been captivating audio. Congratulations. Um, you've learned yeah. a lot about Colin. Excuse me. <clears throat> you've learned a lot about Anderson. Colin Tyler Denton. LOL. And you have learned a lot about C.S. Lewis being a heretic and nobody, um, you know, calling him on it. And hopefully you've learned a lot about Jesus and his countercultural revolutionary kingdom that's not out there somewhere in the ether and we're going to escape to it. Yes, I have very huge feelings of nostalgia for that. That was like one of the first movies I ever saw. It's a great movie. I was right in the middle of my spiritual... Awakening. (laughs) My spiritual moment. Just now? Yeah. Oh, sorry. And I don't remember. 
So be blessed. I have I have to say I I met someone the other day and they asked me what I did for work and I said oh I'm a minister, and then I said, be blessed and I crossed them. <gasps> a stranger? <laughs> yeah. And I was joking. I don't know if I should do that. Wow. It, it felt it felt wrong. I would on, feel on very uncomfortable <laughs> if I just met you and you crossed me. I'd be like so okay. So we can go back to. Um, why people might show up to TRP once and then never come back. Maybe it's maybe it's just for, for things like that. But Colin, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yep. I had a great time. And as we say every week, peace, love, and equality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see you on the flippity flop. Bye. Bye.